Hi, and welcome to Serious About Sustainability, the podcast series brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric Ikadan Air Source Heat Pump. I'm Max Halliwell from Ikadan, and this is a series of podcasts all about renewable home heating. We'll be covering a range of topics from the perspective of UK homeowners, self-builders, contractors, and housing associations. Our show today is called Homeowner Retrofit, switching to Ecodan from fossil fuels. My guest is George Clark, architect and Ecodan ambassador. Welcome, George. Good to see you. And you, mate. You well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, strange times, of course. Very, very strange times. Everyone seems to be dealing in different ways. But um, yeah, so we're all coping in our own way. So hence yep. uh, uh, this new form of media podcast, my first one. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's poignant that we're doing this today because um, it's about 33 degrees outside, isn't it? So it's not just about heating your home, it's about cooling your home and being as green as possible. We've got to tackle like lots of issues, haven't we, in the, uh, in the climate that we're in? Yeah, there's all, there's all sorts to cover at the moment. I mean, obviously with um, global warming slides in very nicely to that subject because, um, you know, we're seeing an increase across the world now of uh, demand for residential cooling, yeah. um, which has its own challenges, of course. You know, we're supposed to be entering a world where uh, we're using less energy, the world heats up, um, and people want to keep their homes nice and comfortable. So we've got that challenge as well. Yeah, I think oh, obviously what we're talking about today is retrofit. And for me, that's massive because we've got over 25 million existing homes in the UK. We are building 220 something thousand new homes a year, but that's 1% of the existing housing stock. Yeah. And obviously in all the programs I make and all the homes that I go and visit, I don't think there's very many that even come close to the current building regulations. Do you know what I mean? When yeah, it comes to yeah, insulation yeah. standards yeah. or double glazing or getting rid of your gas boiler and putting in some other new technology. So in some ways, the retrofit challenge is probably bigger than the new build challenge Yeah, because we've got so much stock that's massively out of date to what the current building regulations need. So it's going to be difficult, I think, to kind of, turn that around quickly, but we need a big long-term plan to be able to make it happen. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because um, yeah, we've got a future uh, podcast um, we're doing, um, obviously with yourself, on new, specifically new build. Um, and new build is very much um, in the focus in terms, you know, changing in building regulations. And when you start from scratch, of course, um, you know, the U values and the or the fabric of those buildings are set. Um, and as you mentioned, with um, the retrofit challenge with a much larger number of properties in the UK, I mean, you said 25 to 30 million homes that need essentially retrofitting to bring them up to current standards. Um, and then just looking at this road to net zero that the government's aspiring to, you yeah. know, for us to have better thermally insulated homes, um, you know, what, what can individuals do to, you know, start on that road to, um, you know, help the country and help themselves. Yeah, I mean, homes account, uh, you'll, you'll see lots of stats around for this, but homes account for like 15% roughly of the UK's greenhouse emissions. And we're looking to basically kind of decarbonize everything that we're doing. And that is a massive challenge, I think, when it comes to an existing building, because so many homes are different with different constraints. So for example, um, insulating your house. Well, that might sound really easy, 
But once you've done your loft, where else do you go? Because you might have a period property that doesn't have cavity walls, so you can't put in cavity wall insulation. So it's kind of tricky with an existing building. You've got to you've got to judge every one on its own merits and what problems it's got and deal with them in quite a unique way, I think. I mean, there's some standard stuff, yeah. as you know. Yeah. yeah. Getting rid of your gas boiler, putting in an air source heat pump is incredible. Yeah. yeah. I've got one in my house and it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And it works really well for me. And I feel really good that I don't have a gas boiler in my house because we've got to make these fundamental changes. Gas is going to run out. It's yeah, going to yeah, go yeah. at some point. Yeah. Oil is going to go yeah. at some point. And it's all part of, I think, the debate about what steps people should be making right now to make a massive difference, not just to the environment, but I think their quality and comfort of life. And and also, I think, kind of lower energy costs. You know, we've talked about this away from a podcast quite a lot. Like, you know, fuel poverty is massive. People who fundamentally cannot afford to pay their fuel bills or their electric bills or their gas bills because they're not getting any cheaper, are they? It's getting more and more expensive all the time. And I think as we've got less gas, we need to be looking at renewable electricity, basically, other forms of generating energy to heat and cool our houses. But I think it's, you know, I made Restoration Man for many, many years, and you're dealing with a lot of very, very old buildings. Um, some of them are listed, and you go into a listed property, and you can't say, let's start dry lining. You're insulating the internal face of, of the walls of your house because you're going to lose skirting boards and picture rails and cornices. Do you know what I mean? You're yeah, not going to start yeah. ripping out period features to just clad the inside of your house. So I think you've got to kind of judge every single house as a unique piece of architecture with unique challenges and then think about your budget and what's feasible and what you can yep. achieve to make a massive difference to your existing house but it kind of worries me a little bit that we're not moving fast enough do you know what i mean and it i get a lot of stick online as you know <laughs> through social media i've seen some of the comments well because you know i i get a lot of stick online because sometimes when you're banging the ecological drum you know people come out and say oh well it's all right for you you can afford it and you know that's a really expensive bit of technology i can't afford that and i get that i really do get that when you're looking to put like food on the table and pay your mortgage and pay your bills to have to invest in other technology in your house yeah. is quite a big ask yeah but if we don't start doing it the whole thing's going to fall apart. I mean, genuinely, yeah, yeah. you know, what, what, what are we going to do when gas runs out? What are we going to do when oil runs out? And it's not really about mine and your generation. It's about our kids and our grandkids. And I think what's amazing actually is you, you think how much the green agenda has become huge in the last two years, you know, with Greta Thunberg, um, Extinction Rebellion, you know, all of these groups saying we've got to do something. You know, this is David Attenborough you know, made that massive speech today at the climate conference, yeah. which is an amazing speech for him to make. I mean, he's like, Amber's one of my superheroes, um, to be honest with you, because he's been there, seen it and done it for, what, 70 years, <laughs> 60, 70 years. And he said it frightens him about the rate of change that's happening to the environment. So because buildings do account for a huge amount of carbon, if you like, and putting pressure on the planet, I think dealing with your existing housing stocks probably the biggest issue, I think, with housing. Because the new build stuff, as we know, has to comply with building regulations and they're always pushing to yeah. 
raise design standards and ecological standards. We'll talk about new build in another podcast, probably for hours. Because yeah. <laughs> once you get once you get me going on that, that's it. Um, but you know, like if you think every, every single TV program that I make is about existing buildings, I've never done a new build project on TV. It's all about you know reconditioning existing housing stock, whether it's old house, new home, ugly house to lovely house. And I think every single home in Britain has got the potential to be green. I really do. You've just got to kind of balance your budget with the restrictions of the building. That's, that's a really good point. Let's go back to something you said there, George, about in terms of each building is different. So um, we have a, um, a philosophy um, called lean, mean and green. It's something called our green gateway philosophy. So lean, obviously, making sure you minimise your energy use. Yeah. Um, mean, obviously, um, insulating, et cetera, and green, looking, looking at renewables and ways that you can cut down on energy and you mentioned um, insulation's critical retrofit but obviously you have challenges with some of the older properties that don't have cavity yeah. walls etc um, say heat pumps for example we always advocate insulating as much as you possibly can to keep that envelope tight um, but in terms of the um, renewables and um, using renewable technologies a lot of people have a lot of questions about these technologies and you know do they actually work now <laughs> now obviously you know there's you obviously are ecodan ambassador um and you know people that doesn't say, mean that i'm biased exactly though. exactly it doesn't but, mean that i'm biased so, i'll always be kind of brutally honest so about. i just want to pick up that point where you know i've seen some of the social media people say oh it's okay for you but just just to explain to our listeners that you wouldn't have become our ambassador if if you didn't believe in the technology. Well, I, mean, I mean, look, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky that I get asked to do lots and lots of different things from lots of different businesses. But um, that's my agent, I'll tell you, that she says no 99% of the time. So when I do work with any company, it's something that I passionately believe in. I've got to believe in that kit, you know, and I've got to see what the benefits are to everybody, you know, if they take that kit on board. Um I mean, should we talk about my house? Yeah, yeah. Because that's probably a nice little... Let's talk about a transition. It's it's kind of a nice case study, I think, in some ways, because it's a 1968 kind of modernist house. Um, It's a little townhouse. It's not massive. Uh, It's four beds, but it's it's not a huge building, as you know. Um, And when I bought the place, it was probably the most ecologically unfriendly little house you could ever possibly imagine you know it's got a flat roof the insulation on the roof was absolutely rubbish it was probably put on i would have thought maybe late 70s early 80s so insulation as we know back then wasn't great you know everything's moved forward hasn't it the the performance of insulation now is amazing it's incredible what it does so um it had single glazing uh timber windows kind of quite cool windows they look good but they were drafty as hell. Um, you could literally hear the wind come through the window. It would whistle through. Um, Natural ventilation. Yeah. <laughs> too much. Way too much. And actually, it was awful for noise pollution because you could hear absolutely everything. It's right in the middle of London, so you could hear every single car and bus that went past outside. Uh, no insulation in the floor whatsoever and doesn't have cavity walls. It's, it's a solid wall construction. Yeah. And... I couldn't believe how much I used to have to put the heating on. I mean, I'd put the heating on from like early September, which is ridiculously early. You're in a a really good, well-performing house. Well, hopefully you wouldn't put the heating on at all, to be honest, if you were like super, super, super insulated, like passive house standard. Um, But, you know, in a decent 
well insulated house, you'd probably start putting the heating on maybe October, late October. I was like early September. Poof. And I knew that all of that heat was just gone literally out the window and through the roof. Um, so I started with insulation on the roof. I couldn't insulate the walls. It was solid wall construction because if I'd insulated on the internal face of the walls, I would have made the house even smaller. And as you know, it's yes. not a massive it's house. It's not massive. It's, it's yeah. a townhouse. There's not actually that much wall space, weirdly, because it's a modernist 1960s house. As you know, there's loads of glazing. It's got ribbon glazing, you know, big strips of glazing from one side to the other. So there's probably only about three foot of brickwork, you know, before you've got glass and then it's you're at roof level. So the glazing was the most important thing, I think, in terms of the fabric of the building. So upgrade the insulation on the roof, um, put insulation in the floor when I put a new floor down and went for triple glazing, which is unusual in this country, um, which is bonkers, I think. You know, if you go to Scandinavia, they were doing triple glazing in like the early 80s. You know, they were doing double glazing way before we were, you know. Um, to them, that, triple glazing is like standard. And triple glazing compared to double for our listeners, I mean, in terms of the efficiency of... I mean, yeah, I mean... Off the top of my head, I would imagine, and I don't have any stats yeah. for this, but I'm guessing it's probably 20, 30% more efficient. Okay, than yeah. Double glazing. Yeah. It might even be more than that, to be honest with you. It's um, the system that I've got is brilliant. You know, it's really, really well engineered and well built. Um, sealed units. Actually, it probably is more than 30%. I'll have to research yeah. that. Um, but I just thought I want to go for the best. Yeah. You know, rather than doing double, I'll do triple. That was fantastic for the house. So you've, you've, done, you've done the envelope there, essentially, haven't you? Yeah, you've, so heat loss yeah, was heat loss. minimized, uh, noise pollution, yep. virtually gone. I mean, that was the best thing about having triple glazing. So right in the middle of West London, you can hardly hear anything going past now. Um, so yeah, in terms of the fabric, I couldn't really do much more than that. And the glass was probably the biggest investment. You know, it was kind of 20 grand or something like that in all the glazing. But there's a lot of glass, yeah. as you know. Yeah. Hell of a lot of glass. Um, so that's the fabric of the building kind of done. And then the next bit was like, right, what do I do about generating electricity and heat? What I still haven't done that I want to do is put um, solar panels on the roof because I still pay for my electricity. I get it from a renewable energy supplier. Um, that sounds so middle-class, doesn't it? For a working-class <laughs> lad to talk like that is terrible. Um, but it is, you know, you can choose who you're, who you're going to buy your energy from. Um, I won't plug the company, but all of their power is from renewable sources, all of it. Um, so I think that's a good first step, but I'd love to generate my own. So I'm going to spend a few quid maybe next year doing that. I've got the right roof for it because it's a flat roof. So I can kind Perfect. of hide them yeah. out of the way. Do you know what I mean? No one would ever see them, to be honest with you. Um, and then it was the gas boiler. And the gas boiler was all right. It's, it was in decent condition. But I just hated the fact that I was just guzzling gas. I just thought it was the wrong thing to do if you're trying to decarbonize your house. So that's when I went for the SOS heat pump. Should we plug yep. SOS heat pumps now? Should yep. we really go for it? We could do, couldn't Shall we? we? <laughs> um, so should we, let's talk about... Um, well, can we talk about how they work? How they work. Yeah, yeah because yeah. I think... Um, and do you know what? I'm in the industry. I'm a trained architect. But, <clears> you know, technology changes all the time. And whenever you talked about SOS heat pumps... To anyone, even if I talk to my clients about it, they would go, so hang on a minute. There's a bit of kit that takes heat out of the air in the great British outdoors and uses that heat from the air 
to basically heat water for my bath and my sink and my radiators and my underfloor heating. And the first question is, we're not in a hot country, so where are we getting the heat from? And it's staggering, isn't it, that it takes a minimal amount of heat from the air, basically compresses it, does lots of clever stuff, and produces hot water. Yeah, I think think your description, um, what we find is as soon as you go – too technical and description. A lot of people just think, well, how does that work? When we talk about, it's like a fridge in reverse. Yeah, I mean, that's what yeah. you told me the yeah. first time we met and you yeah. said it's like a fridge in reverse. I was like, hang on a minute. I couldn't even quite get my head around that, but go on. Yeah, so fridge in reverse. Um, you put the warm food inside the fridge. Um, that's The food is cooled down and then you put your hand on the back of the fridge and of course it's warm. So it's got rid of that heat. So we turn that inside out and we're, we're essentially taking the warmth out of the air and compressing that down, as you say, and putting it in your house. Um, and, but when you compress it, it basically makes the heat more intense. That's right, yes. You're, you're harvesting low-grade heat and upgrading it. Um, your friends comment about, oh, it's, you know, it's quite cold outside. <laughs> <laughs> Which is Which a fair is, point, yeah, isn't it? Because you think there can't be any heat. If it's zero degrees outside, yeah. how can it possibly work? Yeah, so the um, this might be too cold. I don't know. No, go on. So the way I try and liken it now is even on a cold day, supposing it's 5, 10 degrees C outside, which is a typical UK day, the refrigerant inside the system has got the capacity to absorb that heat because essentially it can boil off at minus 45. What do you mean by boil off? So um, as the refrigerant goes through the system like your fridge, when it goes outside, um, it only needs a tiny bit of energy to do a, like a, um, a phase transformation. So, you know, imagine you go from, um, um, this is getting far too complicated. No, I'm, really. no, yeah, I'm yeah, still yeah. with you though, yeah, go yeah. on. Okay, so it's a bit like, um, I liken it to a kettle. You put cold water in a kettle, you heat up the kettle and you get steam coming off it. So that's essentially yeah. boiling off, okay? If you put um, something cold in front of that steam, okay, that water condenses back down and it releases all the energy. That is why steam burns much worse than a water burn. If you put your hand in front of a boiling kettle, that is really painful compared to boiling water. And the reason why that don't is- Don't do either though. Really. No, definitely don't do either. The reason why that is, is if you put the steam on your hand, all the energy, you know, there's a gap when you boil your water and a kettle, and you look at your kettle and think nothing's happening. So there seems to be a pause, yeah. and then it starts steaming. There's a load of extra energy gone into the water there to turn it from water into a vapor to steam. Same thing happens with the refrigerant. So there's an energy collected in that to change, to phase change it. But when it comes back down from a gas back to a liquid, you get a huge amount of energy release. Really complicated now. I'm a bit we've, of a chemist. just lost all yeah, of our listeners. Exactly, exactly. So I apologise for that, gone. listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially- but I think that the reverse yeah. fridge- Reverse fridge. Is, is the simplest way of putting yeah. it. And it's amazing that that technology can harness what I would have thought was minimal heat in the yeah, external that's... air and <clears throat> basically heat your house. I mean, it can, you know, you've got a cylinder. Well, I've got a cylinder. Mine's outside the house, actually, as yeah. you know, because- with it being a small townhouse, I didn't want to like take up any space inside by having the cylinder. But it's brilliant. So, you've, on, in simple terms, we've got the unit outside, haven't we? Which yeah, has got a yeah. fan in it, and I've got the what's it? The EcoDan Ultra, Ultra Quiet, Quiet, yeah, which I love. Um, and the reason why I went for that is, and I think it's a legitimate concern by people, is that they probably associate any external units on a building like a kind of air conditioning unit. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah, probably the most yeah. familiar thing, isn't it? When you go abroad or whatever and you're in Spain 
at a hotel, there's, not, there's a big unit sitting outside and normally they're quite noisy. But the ultra quiet one genuinely is that. I mean, you can hardly hear it at all outside my house. Um, so you've got that unit and that's taking all the heat and doing clever stuff. Yeah. And then you've got a tank, which is basically like a standard hot water tank. Well, it's not standard, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's the same storage tank. You've got a yeah. storage tank. Yeah. How big is my 250 litres? Yeah, 250 litres. 250 or something yeah. like that. And um, for a house of my size, it's just fantastic. And I feel, you know, I feel quite, God, this does, it sounds so middle class. I can't believe I'm saying this. It makes me feel good that I'm not burning fossil fuels to heat the house. I mean, I walk out of the house in the morning and the units stand on there. It's in the front garden. Um, and the fan's gone away. I'm thinking, yeah, great. It's basically doing its clever stuff. And it's all renewable and it's all clean. And I'm not burning any gas. Yeah. And that's because you've, you've made the choice there, as you say, because some people have said, oh, if you're taking electricity from the grid, um, some of those are powered by gas turbines. But as you say, you've got, you've got suppliers. You can yeah. specifically say, um, I'm with one as well. And they're 100% wind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, we're now dipping our toe into like the cynical world of yeah. places like social media about, you know, what is truly green. So as you know, I've got an electric car. Yeah. And all I get from people all the time is, yeah, but it's got a massive lithium battery underneath it. And that's ecologically terrible. It's a fair point. You know, we've got to do something clever with batteries at some point, because that's probably not sustainable as well. Um, but when I charge that battery up, I'm doing it from a green energy supplier. Um, it's, I'm not getting it from a coal-fired power station because I've set my accounts up knowing it's 100% renewable and clean energy. And for me, on a simple level with your car, it's got rid of all the pollution. And that's massive. Yeah, I do think in like 100 years' time, people are going to look back at around 2020 Actually, let's not say 2020 because it'll be dominated by COVID-19 and they won't talk about anything else. Um, but they'll look back, I think, at this early part of this century and the 20th century and go, okay, the combustible engine was very clever, but what a horrible, dirty, nasty bit of technology it was. Yeah. You know, where we're burning oil, which, I mean, it's nuts, isn't it? How much oil we take out the, out the ground. I mean, millions of barrels a day. Millions and millions a day. Like, I can't even get my head around. Yeah, it. Like yeah, sometimes yeah. I try and visualize what that must look like. And you know, like the oil producers will say, "Oh yeah, we've, we've, we're going to produce five million barrels less at the minute because there's not much demand because of COVID." And I'm like, "How much do you normally supply? <laughs> like five million less?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, we do like fifty million barrels a day or something." It's insane, isn't it? It is mad. And like our kids are walking around streets in cities, breathing in toxic air. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That we're pumping out there. So we're wrecking the planet. Yeah. Literally. And then wrecking lives in the built environment by polluting it. And I do think they'll look back in a hundred years' time and go, those guys have been nuts. Like absolutely bonkers. You know, like when we look back to like the Victorian age and we think about terrible working conditions and you know what the factories must have been like and grimy cities and you know, to not have um Sewage treatment plants, for example. We, we didn't have a proper drainage system in London until whatever the late, the latter part of the 1800s. Mm. And you think, eh? Yeah. Like, that must that's- have been grim. <laughs> you know, that's not like a, we can't look back at the Victorian age and make out it was like beautifully romantic and a lovely place to live. It was minging. Like it was really awful, you know? And I do think we'll look back and just go, how on earth can we send people to the moon 
1969 with all this amazing technology, but then just still pollute and wreck the planet. And I think there's always going to be that debate about where you get the energy from and all of that stuff and payback time. But I think it's technology that, and I'm not just saying this because I'm Mitsubishi Electric Ambassador, I genuinely think every single house that's built today should have an air source heat pump on it. I think it should be in the building rigs. Like genuinely, I think it should be there because why are we still putting gas boilers when the government are saying we need to be zero carbon by 2050? It's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Obviously, what people are going to say, and we haven't talked about this, is cost. Cost. Because that's the big thing, isn't it? Because yeah, if it yeah. was affordable to everybody, they would do it. Right? And we wouldn't even be having this conversation. It would just be happening. So what does a gas boiler cost to get put in these days? That's 1,200 quid, yeah, two yeah. grand, maybe yeah. for the installation with the boiler. The boiler itself is probably not that expensive, really. Um, my system's like, what, eight? Eight. Eight K for the installed, yeah. So it's a chunky bit of money. Yeah. It's a fair bit of money, but I'm still making a saving every year because my electric bills are, well, my electric bill for running that unit is less than my combined gas and electric bill that I was paying before. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Got you. Yeah. So it's, it's with every single bit of, not even technology, I think every single thing that you do to your existing house, you've got to see it as an investment, haven't you? So like changing your windows. Let's say you've bought a house and the single glazed windows and they're crap, just like they were on my house. You don't not do it because it's going to cost you some money. You look at those windows and go, I want to change them. I want something really beautiful. How much is it going to cost me? And someone will go, oh, well, you can have UPVC ones and that's going to cost you 10,000 quid or 8,000 quid. Um, you could get beautiful handmade oak ones and that's going to be 22,000 quid or you can go for something in between and it's going to cost you 16,000 quid. And you sit there, don't you? You go, right, what can I afford? Is it really worth me doing? Yes, otherwise I wouldn't be having the conversation with a glazing company. You wouldn't even consider it if it wasn't worth doing. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So you, you've got to see that spend is an as an investment in your house and an investment in your quality of life. So it's not just about being, for me, it's not just about being green. I think that's mega important, but it's about comfort. You know, I want my house to be a lovely, comfortable place to live. So it's more capital cost, as we know, but you get money back, don't you? On reduced energy bills and incentives. And also there's this... Um growing market now you're finding we're finding that people have actually installed uh, renewables such as pv heat pumps done insulation yep. people looking at their bills going up those properties are now becoming more desirable you know you you sell a property with um if you've bought and installed pv panels and a heat pump you've got grants that are still being paid on those from the government um and you sell your house and those grants are passed over do you want to talk about the grants a bit because yeah that's really yeah important. um i've got a couple of bits you've, you've raised some really interesting uh points there got, uh, yeah the grants for example so at the moment um if you installed um a heat pump into your property, the government have um, extended a current grant called the Renewable Heaters Incentive, which essentially pays you for um, every kilowatt hour of renewable heat that you generate in your property. So it's a simple calculation. They look at the amount of heat that your property requires, the amount of hot water that's required in the property. They do a calculation. It's based on your energy performance certificate. And um, that essentially works out how much heat is required to put in your house. And the Renewable Heat Incentive does a calculation based on the efficiency of your system and they give you a quarterly um, sum of money. Now, typically in the UK, 
if you look at um, a standard house, suppose we took a three-bedroom semi, yeah. um, you'd be looking at around a grant of about £1,000 per year. For how for, many years? For seven years. So if you spend, let's say, eight grand on the kit, yep. you could get seven back. That's broadly, right, roughly. broadly. Ballpark, yeah, depends what needs to do in the house, but that's, that's kind of figures. I mean, that's amazing, though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And how long is that scheme being extended for? Because so, we were worried it wasn't going to be That's renewed. right, yeah. So it, originally it was due to finish uh, March next year. Um, what the government have done, I think, because of the current crisis, and obviously they're quite busy with other bits of peace at the moment. Just a bit. Um, they've extended the current renewable heat incentive um, for another year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are in a period of consultation at the moment on another grant system called the Clean Heat Grant. Now, this is something I think that um, both consumers and industry will welcome because it's, um, it's more of an upfront capital payment. Um, because a lot of people said, well, you know, we like the renewable heat incentive, but it can be a bit complicated um, to work out. And also, a lot of people say that it's not really enough money up front. So I'm thinking about being renewable. I'd like a heat pump, but essentially, I'm having to wait quite a long time to recoup that money. So um, what the government um, are working on um, in consultation with manufacturers and stakeholders is an upfront grant um, of around, they're looking at about £4,000 upfront. Um, so that really takes away some of the capital That's that you think of. So hopefully we'll see that grant kicking in in a year and a bit's time. So, But I think the it's interesting because I think people often think of kit and technology like solar thermal panels or a little mini, tiny wind turbine in their back garden or an air source heat pump as being like an add-on. Do you know what I mean? It's like an extra yeah, yeah, bit of kit. Yeah. It's an add-on. It's like a bolt-on, literally, onto my house. And I don't think we should be thinking about it like that. I think it should be as important as glazing or walls or floors or stairs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. like an integral part of the building and it shouldn't just be an add-on. I don't know if you've heard, um, one of the things the government of um, it's not actually in law at the moment, but what they've stated is by 2025 that um, no new build properties um, should be connected to um, the gas grid. Yeah. Which is so, great. yep. So they're very much looking at um, this whole electric economy, which brings back to a point you made when you were talking about your electric car. Um, and this is this is an area that um, a lot of people forget about. Uh, easy to criticize electric vehicles. Um, I drive one as well. It's a hybrid. So it's um, yeah. sort of like you know, half, half an electric. And people said the same thing about batteries, et cetera. However, like a heat pump, when you're driving that car in electric mode in central London, what people have got to remember, out the back of the pipe, nothing's coming out. Yeah. Um, and that's the same with a heat pump as well. So one of the things we think about is air quality. So we talk about nitrogen oxide levels, which we know are harmful, potentially deadly in high levels. We see problems with res- respiratory illness, a bit topical at the moment, I know, yeah. um, in London, in a city. And the, the vision is if you have cars that are producing zero emissions in town and um, heating systems doing the same, yeah. Um, that's a that's a huge benefit yeah, as well. So it's massive. I mean, I, I can't stand that smell. You know, when you walk past someone's house and like the flue from the gas boiler is yeah. in a rubbish position. It's like nearly at nose level. You know, where it should be like well out the way, and you do get that horrible smell coming out of a flue. Don't yep. you? Do you know what Absolutely. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Now imagine every single house in Britain pumping that out. 
it's kind of a bit nuts when there's different technology and cleaner technology around. Yeah. And the weird thing about um, gas boilers, I had a funny conversation about because, as you know, I've got a heat pump as well. Yeah. Strangely enough, have one for seven <laughs> years. Um, and I live in a semi detached property, and my heat pump faces my neighbor via a fence, and his gas boiler flew points at my property. So um, um, he didn't even know my heat pump was there. Uh, he couldn't see it. And he said, Oh, what's that? You know, it's an yeah, air conditioner. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I said, It's a heat pump. What's that? Um, and told him what it does. But did some sound measurements um, in the middle point, and my heat pump is quieter than the noise that his flu makes. So, but there's no regulations for that, is there? There's not, but and I think that's why the government have got to do more. I mean, they're doing a fair bit already, as you say, kind of getting rid of gas boilers in new build properties. 2025 is a massive step. Um, the incentives and the grants are brilliant. I have to say, if that new one comes in where you might get four grand up front, that's going to make a massive difference as well. And I realise, you know, particularly in these tough times, because we're just going into a recession, as we know, because of COVID. Um, it's hard for people to make the decision to spend that money when you've got to pay for other things. But I think you've got to take a long-term approach. I mean, literally in my head, it's like, you've got to be thinking 10, 15 years at least. And I mean, with gas boilers, it's amazing, isn't it? That people basically keep their gas boiler until it dies. Right. I mean, we're quite stubborn. Like we, we have this gas boiler that's sitting there. Could have been there for 16, 17, 18 years, not maintained properly because we don't service them every year. It's not like doing an MOT on your car. We should, you know, if you've got a gas boiler, I think they should be checked every single year. Parts get old. The system becomes really inefficient. You know, your gas boiler, if it's 15 years old, is probably at like 50% efficiency from when it was. Yeah, made. that's about spot on. You know, yep. and we just keep going with it and we hang on in yep. there and hang on in there until it dies. And I think it, we should be changing them earlier because it saves you money, not just the environment, but it's going to save you money by getting rid of your gas boiler, let's say after 10 years. And I think you should be going for something that's renewable and clean because it's the right way. And and you do get your money back. I mean, it, even with the incentives now to get seven grand back broadly over seven years on an eight grand capital cost, that's incredible. It's brilliant. That. So we should all be doing it. The Mitsubishi Electric Ikadan Air Source Heat Pump switched from fossil fuels like oil, LPG and storage heaters to clean, renewable home heating. Visit ultraquietecadan.co.uk for more information. Ecodan, serious about sustainability. So if someone wants an air source heat pump, like where do they even start? Because I'm imagining you don't call a plumber. Okay. Yeah, it's a good question. So... In some instances, you do call a plumber if, <laughs> if, if they are um, one of our accredited installers. All right, okay. So the majority of our installers are actually from um, hot water and heating background. Okay. They are plumbers. Yeah. Because the thing is with a heat pump, if you just imagine it as just another heat source, they're using the same pipe work okay, into the property. They're using radiators, cylinders. So as long as they've been on one of our training courses, they understand how a heat pump works and what the differences are. So um, you'd go onto our website, uh, go onto ecodan.co.uk, and uh, you can find an installer. Um, and the installer would come to your property and do what's known as a whole house um, calculation. So they just look at the envelope of your property, work out heat loss, how much energy needs to go into your house to keep it warm in winter. They'll have a look at the cylinder, look at existing radiators. 
and they would come back with a proposal. So they might say to you, oh, you've got um, cavity walls. Have you had those filled up? You know, back to what we were talking about. That installer would advise you on other things that you could or should do before you have an air source heat pump, like insulation and upgrading your windows and stuff like that. Yeah, that's right. So all our installers have come on our training course. And part of that course is to look at the whole envelope, like you were talking about earlier. You know, could you insulate? Um, what are your windows like? Because, you know, you're producing this lovely renewable energy um, and you want to keep that. You want to make your house as efficient as possible. So the installer would go away. He would do a, um, a costing for you based on what he's found. Um, then if you if you like the sound of that proposal, you go further. They go a little bit further and then they do what's known as a room-by-room calculation generally to really make sure they've got the right piece of equipment for your property. So they look at the size of your radiators, the heat output from them, the volume of space that needs to be heated and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you've got it. So um, if you think about um, a gas or oil-fired boiler, for example, the water flowing through those radiators is a lot hotter. It could be 65, 70 degrees. You fall asleep in one of those and uh, it could be painful. They're hot. Whereas a heat pump, um, it's a much um, more gentle heat going through your property. So typically 40, 45 degrees. So that means that you might have to upgrade some of or all of your radiators, depending on what you've got in the property at the moment. So he will build up a quotation based on replacing the boiler and replacing some or all of the radiators. I didn't have to do mine though. No, no, yours were fine. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, Very we good. find that in a lot of properties actually that some of the radiators are oversized anyway, and they can take a heat pump fine. So it's very much you know case by case basis. Installer will build a quote for you. Um, they do a grant calculation, um, and then you can see what the system would cost you and how much you're going to get back from the government as well. And the bit that you mentioned there, which I think is like really important, is is that it's gentle heat. So it's like when you boil a kettle, it's mad, isn't it, that you've got cold water at the tap, and within maybe a minute, it's at nearly 100 degrees. That takes like a massive amount of energy, doesn't it? I mean, that's one of the biggest energy guzzlers in a house is boiling your kettle. And I think with the air source heat pump, it's a massive contrast to a gas boiler or an oil boiler. Oil boiler, couldn't say that. Because um, it's a huge amount of energy really, really quickly, sometimes for a really high temperature. So people like coming in and put their thermostat up to like 24 degrees, takes loads of intense heat, which is really expensive. Whereas an air source heat pump, it's, it's a bit like underfloor heating, isn't it? You put it at so a, tr- a trickle of energy. At, yeah. A much lower level. So when people say just turn your thermostat down by a couple of degrees and you'll help save the planet and reduce your energy bills. So an air source heat pump is like a trickle of gentle, cleaner energy that's not costing you as much money. Yeah, that's right. So um, exactly what you said there. I mean, the with uh, fossil fuels, um, generally how they work, you get a big pulse of energy into the property. Um, and that's why sometimes some people's properties feel suddenly very, very hot. And the system goes off and then it goes and it goes a little bit And then cool. they open the windows. Yeah, they open the windows and <laughs> they go again. Whereas a heat pump, absolutely, is what you're looking to do is, is trickle in the energy, build up a thermal mass of heat in the property and then maintain that. Um, and it's brilliant for um, underfloor heating, isn't it? Yeah, fantastic. Water system, yeah, underfloor yeah. heating. Yeah, so basically the philosophy is um, the lower flow temperature, which applies to gas and fossil fuel boilers as well. If you reduce the flow temperatures of those systems, they're more efficient, but even more so with a heat pump. So typically underfloor, 30 degrees centigrade flow in an underfloor heating system, even more efficient. Uh, so installers come out, looked yep. at the property, done yep. all those calcs, worked out your grants, everything else, and you decide you're going to go for it. What happens then? What happens then is they will book some time with you. Um, an installation, depending on what's going to happen in your property, 
could typically take two to four days. Um, they will come in, they will remove the existing boiler, um, they find a suitable position outside for your heat pump. Um, they would have had to have done a, um, a sound calculation as well to get the grant to make sure that um, you're within what's known as permitted development, um, which is very, very easy with our ultra quiet Ecodan because it's so quiet. Reducing noise pollution because yep. you don't want to upset your neighbours. Exactly. Like yeah. Um, so they're site the outside unit. Um, they ch- typically change your cylinder um, and then they will do the radiators and balance system. And then they might install something called, um, we have an app called MailCloud. I think you live with that as well, don't I you, do. George? Yeah, <laughs> I do. Um, which is the ability to control your system uh, remotely and look at the performance of your system. And your installer can even do that for you as well. So um, it's it's a relatively straightforward process. And once the installation's happened, what kind of guarantees or assurances have they got? So our standard warranty with the system, um, it varies from manufacturer to manufacturer, generally three years, um, parts and labor. It's like, you know, most things you buy of high value, you, you expect a relatively, relatively decent comeback. So what will happen is in the first um, few weeks, you know, you'll, you'll be living with the system, um, checking it's all fine. You can look at data that's coming out of your system just to check. You can look at it online. You know, and if something goes wrong yep. for any reason, yep. any, any reason, and it might be, well, with me, it was probably like um, user problems because I was trying <laughs> to get my head around how the, because it's a new bit of case. Yeah, of course, You've got course. to kind of work with it in a different way. Um, who do you call if there's like any problem? Okay. So in the first instance, when the installations, we got, you've got choices. Um, you can call your installer, um, but we do have a homeowner helpline. And if you have um, MailCloud installed in your system, which all new Ecodans do come with this Wi-Fi app, you can even call our Manchester help desk, okay, and they can access your system and have a look at it, um, how it's performing, um, what the settings are, um, has the installer got that spot on or is there a little tweak you need to make? And they can do that without even coming to your house. Which is brilliant. Yeah. It's a massive peace of mind. Yeah. Really good. It's been great to have you, George, for this um, this episode. So um, I learned things today. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> I think Every I, day is a school day. I think I did as well. So uh, <laughs> really good to see you. Keep safe. No, and you. Look after yourself. So there you have it. Ecodan for the homeowner retrofit market. The Ecodan podcast series brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric. And a huge thanks to my guest, George Clark, for coming on the show. Thanks very much, George. Thank you all for listening and please share, subscribe, rate and review the Ecodan Serious About Sustainability podcast. Until next time, goodbye.